Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. I am a big Adele fan, and nothing proves this. Quite like the contrast I drew between her and Lady Gaga over a decade ago, in a blog commentary on the 2011 MTV Music Video Awards. Because I dissed Lady Gaga for leading a parade of singers who seemed to think the key to success was looking and behaving in a way off stage that made what they did on stage seem irrelevant. But I praised Adele not only for singing like an angel, but for standing out as the music industry's saving grace. There can be no denying that, since then, she has thoroughly vindicated my praise. And yes, I tuned into her one-night-only concert on November 14, during which she previewed songs from her latest album, 30. But I resented having to sit through so many cross-promotional takes from her interview with Oprah, which kept interrupting the concert, like a hemorrhoid commercial interrupting a movie thriller. That, of course, was disappointing enough, but it turned out to have been just a cross-contaminating preview of this surprising fall from grace, courtesy of the November 29 edition of the New York Times. And I quote, This week, Adele tops the Billboard album chart with the equivalent of 839,000 sales in the United States of her latest release, 30. These days, that counts as an unqualified blockbuster. 30 had by far the biggest opening of any album this year, beating both Drake's Certified Lover Boy and Taylor Swift's Red, Taylor's version, by more than 200,000. But it was a far cry from Adele's last album, 25, which six years ago caused Jaws to drop throughout the industry by selling nearly 3.4 million copies in its first week alone. If Adele could not sell more than one million albums in a single week, could any artist? End quote. Indeed. The way things are trending, these are the dying days of Adele's reign as the industry's saving grace. Which brings me to the industry's resurrection of dead artists like Prince, who, according to the December issue of Newsweek, made $120 million this year. Of course, dead Elvis pioneered this phenomenon, of music stars becoming far more marketable in death than they ever were in life. But Michael Jackson took it to new heights or depths, depending on your sense and sensibility. 
it was widely reported that he was $500 million in debt when he died in 2009. But by 2014, thanks in large part to posthumous album sales, his estate had ballooned to an estimated $1.5 billion. I duly expressed cynicism in a blog commentary titled More Proof Michael Was Not Gone Too Soon on June 20, 2014. This is not the forum to elaborate on the psychology of people who wait for music stars to die to become their biggest and most devoted fans. But I could not resist commenting on it in David Bowie, Gender-Bending Performing Artist is Dead on January 12, 2016, as follows. And don't get me started on his self-professed fans, taking to social media to share how much his music meant to them. After all, if just a fraction of them had actually purchased his music, Bowie's last hit single would not have been Let's Dance over 30 years ago. Ironically, apropos of hits, that is bound to change with the timely release, just two days before he died, of Blackstar, his Requiem Farewell album. It's trending, therefore millions of social media twits must have it. Sure enough, Billboard reported on January 14 that sales of the dead Bowie's Blackstar eclipsed record-setting sales of the living Adele's 25, rocketing him to the top of its album chart for the first time ever. End quote. But I hope you noticed how I foreshadowed the dead prince eclipsing Adele's 30 this year with that reference to the dead Bowie eclipsing Adele's 25 five years ago. Surely such fateful symmetry is as uncanny as it is prescient, no? <laughs> More to the point, though, is it any wonder Prince never enjoyed in life? the kind of success he's enjoying in death. For starters, here is how the Los Angeles Times heralded death becoming him in this respect in a report on April 25, 2016, and I quote, Initial sales figures prove that Prince's influence still reigns. Sales spiked a reported 42,000% according to Nielsen Music. The tributes, memorials, and thoughtful remembrances of Prince will continue for weeks. But now, a whole lot more people have Prince's songs in their libraries. And that's one small silver lining 
in all the sadness. End quote. The cynicism inherent in such spike in sales was bad enough. That this cynicism was completely lost on so many was profoundly dismaying. Obviously, if he were as beloved as the Los Angeles Times implied, the silver lining in his death would not be a whole lot of people suddenly adding Prince songs to their libraries. Uh, mind you, I suspect so-called fans buy memorabilia on these occasions primarily to draw attention to themselves. And hucksters always seem to be lying in wait to exploit this perverse form of narcissism. The following, from the April 29, 2016 edition of the New York Daily News, betrays the cupidity of these hucksters and the vacuity of those fans. Crafty sellers are looking to the heavens to make purple gains after Prince's death. Just one week after Prince died, Minnesotans have launched a free-for-all selling spree to profit from the Purple One's passing. While most merchandisers stuck to shirts, keychains and posters, endeavouring entrepreneurs, inspired by the Purple Rain artist, were literally selling the rain from the day Prince died. End quote. <laughs> that tops selling snow to Eskimos, no? That said, I'm on record decrying posthumous album sales, shrines, and other gimmicks that are so clearly designed to enrich the executors and beneficiaries of the estate of dead artists. Pop Smoke, Juice World, and Lil Peep head the list of recently deceased artists with posthumous releases that duly attest to this exploitation. But nothing was more alarming and disturbing in this respect than producers raising the curtain on Michael Jackson's much-hyped performance in hologram form at the 2014 Billboard Music Awards. Because, far from being thrilled, I was just creeped out. I commented in the aforementioned More Proof Michael Was Not Gone Too Soon on June 20, 2014, as follows. It occurred to me that if they could make Michael appear to have risen from the dead to perform live on stage, they could probably make him appear to have risen to record new songs in Studio 2, which of course would put a deep fake spin on the dubious practice of selling previously recorded but unreleased songs after a singer's death that is too deceptive for words.
after all, the reason most songs remain unreleased is that the singer thinks they suck. End quote. This is why it was so gratifying a few months ago when I had caused to sound a note of vindication in Anderson Park Tattoos My Rant Against Posthumous Albums on August 26, 2021, because I was able to quote no less an authority than Industry Bible Variety magazine at length as follows. Some performers end up having more lively discographies posthumously than they ever did in life. Anderson Park does not mean to be one of them. And whereas some artists might just put a ban on post-death releases in their wills, Park isn't just waiting for the executor of his estate to get the message. He's taking more extraordinary measures to make sure that his current fans and his future coroner all see it too. The singer posted a photo to Instagram on Monday that made a key part of his will perfectly clear. When I am gone, please don't release any posthumous albums or songs with my name attached. Those were just demos and never intended to be heard by the public. The tattoo on his arm read. <laughs> Park, of Silk Sonic, is known for being fairly prolific in life, which may be reflected in his contention that he is already issuing anything he thinks is good enough to meet release standard. End quote. By all accounts, the same could have been said of dead artists like Prince, Michael Jackson and David Bowie, all of whom were known for being fairly prolific in life. But after Park's tattoo went viral, Lana Del Rey revealed that her will expressly prohibits the posthumous release of any of her music. And I suspect it will inspire many others to make a similar stipulations, even if not in the form of tattoos. Accordingly, here's to more artists writing similar wills, so that when they die, they may rest in peace. That's it. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening and... Until the next Talking Eye Pinions, goodbye.